All right. Welcome back to Enter the Metaverse. Today on our podcast, we have special guest Joe Templin. Uh, he is the author of the book Everyday Excellence, described as the Swiss Army Knife, known for his ultra marathon runs, and he's he's known as an unrepented geek, special needs father, and martial artist. So, Joe, tell us tell us about yourself. <laughs> um, I'm ADHD. I don't sleep very much. I'm an unrepentant geek, and so uh, that combination means that I'm constantly learning and exploring new things. And so anything that catches my eye and be like, ooh, that's shiny, that's cool, I go and I explore it. So that explains my background in physics, finance, psychology, you know, uh, tax economics, a whole plethora of things. So... Hence the human Swiss army knife, or maybe the MacGyver that uses it. All right. That's, that, that, that's a lot to, uh, we can go, th- go through so many of these, these avenues here. So what, what would you like to talk about first? Let's talk about passions. What, Passion, gets, okay. people, what gets people really geeked up? Because, you know, for example, I'm a diehard Yankees fan. The Yankees are playing the Red Sox right now, and we beat them. And whenever the Yankees beat the Red Sox, that makes life good. And, you know, we're seeing a couple of historic runs. One, we got Albert Pujols at the end of his career knocking on the door of 700. And if we didn't have shortened COVID seasons, he would already be there. And so he'd be talked about with Babe Ruth and Hank Aaron and Willie Mays as one of the five greatest players of all time, even with the decline that he had when he was in Los Angeles. You got Aaron Judge, who's making a push to break the American League record in home runs and, you know, the non-steroid record, because, yes, those guys cheated. So, you know, this is the sort of thing that, for months on end, gets me excited. And I know people who get that excited over football or hockey or music and it's one of those things where if you can find your geekdom the thing that gets you all excited and you're, you want to talk about it and like gets you emotionally charged both high and low having something like that in your life if you can tie it into other components of who you are and what you do can give you amazing results because passion is what's going to carry you through the tough times, whether it's building a business or in a relationship, or if you're in like, you know, doing an ultra marathon and you're 75 miles into a hundred mile run, you know, or like as, you know, building a business, writing a book, any of these big things that we want to accomplish have to be tied to passion because if not, it's really just slavery. And, you know, you need somebody standing over you beating you to finish it. Yeah, it's funny you talked about like some of my passions would be um I I had a passion do, following pursuing DJing back in the day and mm-hmm. I had a DJ controller set up and everything and then I I had to sell it unfortunately but that was one of my avenues that I went down. I can tell we're both passionate about helping people and and bringing people up. That's what I think that we can both uh, so agree on. So one of the things is 
how do we take these one area of passion and carry them over into others? So what attracted you to being a DJ other than girls? <laughs> other than girls. <laughs> Very smart. Um, no, uh, what attracted me? It's just the, the vibe that I'm getting. I'm giving off, like I'm I'm raising people's hopes and spirits. You know, like I, I think mm-hmm. I'm like, like you're 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 really setting a mood to to the atmosphere of whatever event you're going to and i would be if i ever did an event like i never got to the chance to do one not yet if i go back into it but um i would i would be pretty choosy of where i'm gonna go because i don't want to just go anywhere i want to go where i i feel like i'm most needed you know so and music is one of those things that is multi functional and in that if you listen to music the entire brain lights up it just like exercising or there's very few things that are that powerfully stimulating to the human being and so being in that sort of environment you can take people to incredible highs and lows and all of that there's a reason why the musical score is so critical to a film it's the underlying and one of the things I've used in business, actually, in a lot of ways, using music. So whether it's listening to my Flip the Switch song, which is Princes of the Universe by Queen, before I go up on stage, essentially walk-up music for, like, wrestlers. Uh, you know, it tells you what's going on. It builds the anticipation. It gets the performer ready to do what they need to do. So taking that, You can apply this in lots of other arenas and use it to help motivate and move individuals. I completely agree with that. Um, Now, I just want to get into your book, Everyday Excellence. And how do you describe excellence in your own definition? Well, excellence is like happiness in that it's very, very personal. I mean, so what makes my, you know, one friend who's very externally driven uh, happy is new car, new clothes, you know, going out to dinner, that sort of stuff. What makes me happy is going and able to run a race, you know, a great workout. Um, You know, yeah, I love all the yummy food, so I run so I can eat. Uh, So my pursuits are different than other individuals so my definition of happiness ultimately is and my definition of excellence so one thing in my mind though is that excellence is closing the gap between your potential and your reality so if you want to look at your capability as a podcast you know you've got this image of what you could be and over Mm -hmm. time you improve and you're closing that gap. And as that gap gets closer, you're meeting your own definition of excellence. So as a DJ, you know, when you first started and you saw these people up on stage you're, and you first did your first gig, you're like, I'm nothing. I'm, I, I suck, whatever. But then you turn that self-talk towards, all right, I'm going to learn. And your next one was better. And you did things around it. You practiced, you learned, you researched, you upgraded your equipment. You talk with other individuals. You join communities around that. And so your capability expanded. And so that gap shrank. 
and you weren't doing it because you were getting all the women or you know the huge checks that they were giving you especially early on we're not paid as beginners we're paid if we eventually become experts and masters but every master began as a, an apprentice they began as a novice and moved in that direction and so we closed the gap on where we saw we could be and sorry i don't mean to interrupt but uh do you have you heard of the quote um i don't know how exactly it goes but like it takes practice 10,000 so it takes 10,000 times of practice yes, the, before you become an expert or something like that yes so it's malcolm gladwell 10,000 hour rule where it takes 10,000 hours of focused practice to be master or become an expert in something and james quandrell and i were talking about this a couple months ago uh, because we're talking about excellence, because excellence is a step along the way to mastery. So it's not quite there. But I actually learned about this decades ago from my own Taekwondo master. He told me that you need to do a technique a hundred times to do it. You need to do it a thousand times to understand it. And you need to do it 10,000 times to master it. And so one of the things I talk about is the first technique that I learned, other than bowing and all that was a horse stand center punch. And I learned that 35 plus years ago. And every single morning, even today, I still do that punch a hundred times each hand. Minimum. That's impressive. That's okay? impressive. So I've done that technique 10 million plus times. And I don't need to think. I don't need to even be. It's a part of who I am. It is literally beyond my DNA and into my soul at this point. So I just do and that is true mastery over time. Now, when I was a white belt, an orange belt, you know, young in to the martial arts, obviously I wasn't at that level and I was still working and improving. And even today I can improve. I mean, uh, Pablo uh, Casals, the incredible cellist in his nineties was still practicing. And when he was asked why, he's like, I think I'm getting better. Okay, and this is somebody who literally was at the end of a 80-year career almost, and he still wanted to improve. Marcus Aurelius, um, a couple of months before his death, the great Roman emperor, was going to a lecture, and one of his friends saw him, and he's like, where are you going, Marcus? And he's like, I go to see Sextus to learn that which I do not yet know. And so having this growth mentality that is one of the things that, one, is necessary to maintain a youthful mind, and all the gerontologists will tell you that having that uh, growth mindset, that attitude, will keep you young for decades. I, I always, is... yeah, sorry. I, no, go I, ahead. I uh, so, yeah, I'm always talking about changing your mindset to change your reality, and, like, always have, like, a growth mindset is mm -hmm. definitely one of them up there um now well, here's the thing with a growth mindset i've got a friend who's trying to qualify for jeopardy and he tries to learn three new facts every single day that doesn't seem like a big deal but when you compound that out over decades how much knowledge are you accumulating it if, from a mathematical point of view if you get one percent better per day by the end of the year you're 37 times better if you can get 1% better per week, which is almost nothing, then at the end of two years, you're three times as good as you were previously. So at the end of four years, 
you're nine times as good. Okay. Six years, you're 27 times as good. So that's one of the reasons for the nonlinear growth curve on the, on the book, because it takes a while. I mean, it feels like you're not making progress, but you're starting to move on out here. As Jim Collins talks about in Good to Great, the flywheel gets going and you build the momentum. And one of the things is you get better at getting better over time. Yeah, and a lot so, of, a lot bang, of people, you hit that curve. A lot of people don't have the patience to take the time to keep practicing whatever they're trying to get better at because like they'll 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 see like oh i went to the gym for a month i don't see any results but have you looked at the other factors right like what's your diet look like what's what's uh what's your routine like what are you eating like what's your calorie intake stuff like that right so like they they just focus on one thing and they don't give it enough time Right. So there's two different things that you're talking about. You know, time is your ally if you're trying to do something significant, if you're consistent. You have to be consistent to be excellent. Let me repeat that. You have to be consistent to be excellent. If you eat salads and, you know, chicken and salmon four days a week and the other three days a week, you're eating a dozen donuts. Guess what? You're not going to make progress. If you run a 10K every Sunday, but the rest of the week you sit on your ass, guess what? You're not going to make progress. It, so I would rather see somebody do smaller amount every single day. If you practice an instrument for two hours a week, once a week, you'll improve somewhat. If you practice for 15 minutes every single day, you're going to make bigger gains. Yeah, my, my co-host is a drummer and he talks about this all the time. He talks about like how like he's been practicing basically his entire life drumming. And he still doesn't feel like he's at the point where he wants to be because he's always trying to improve, right? So he's. And that's the mastery mindset because you never reach the finish line. My friend that I was talking about, her external happiness, you know, a new BMW makes her happy for a little bit. New mm -hmm. clothes that she goes and buys makes her happy for like, you know, one or two wearings. And then she wants to go buy new clothes. Me, Going out for a run makes me happy, even if it's a crappy run. The process makes me happy. Me going down into my basement and doing my forms every single morning, my martial arts forms, you know, makes me feel happy. And I might have only one almost perfect kick that morning where it's off, just flows perfectly and, you know, it goes snap, pop, and, you know, all that. And anybody who's studied martial arts can picture what I'm talking about. And so it's those couple of minutes, but it's the process that you fall yeah. in love with. Tom Brady's in love with the process of becoming a great football player, which is the reason why he's still doing it at 42 years old and still driven when everybody else is retired and you know, sucking back beers. So it's, so it's different if you're externally driven by getting that promotion or uh, ha having that accolade that is presented from the outside, versus the internal motivation. The internal motivation, like your drummer buddy, you're always gonna continue. You're always gonna want more. You're always gonna be pushing yourself because that's just the way you are. And that's important, internal motivation, not external motivation, because we can get our daily dose of external motivation until like, it's, it's, just, it's, just, it's just temporary and it's not gonna right. last. But when, once that stimulus is removed, we're going to 
uh, fall back on our old habits or our old level of belief system around it. But if you have a belief system of, I can be better, I can do more, I can push on this, I love this, and that was coming back to that passion discussion at the beginning today, if you're passionate about it, you're going to keep pushing. As Arnold Schwarzenegger said, he didn't need discipline because he loved what he was doing. He loved the process of becoming Mr. Olympia. Every rep made him stronger, made him better. I mean, he would literally work so hard that he would puke and pass out, wake up, and keep going because he was driven internally. And that's the reason why he ended up winning so many championships. And then he took that to acting and then other areas. You said the word discipline. Now, I like to use, because you said he didn't use discipline. I like to use the word devotion because like discipline feels like Discipline feels like you're forced to do something to see results versus devotion. You're passionate. That's where the passion comes in. You're passionate. You love what you're doing, but you're still going to do it. You know? Right. And there's sometimes when you need the discipline to supplement the devotion. So for example, I hate running in the ring. I hate getting the squishy feet and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So when it, it's raining and I have to go running, that's when it takes discipline. When it's getting cold out in the mornings and, you know, the bed's nice and warm, that's when it takes discipline to get out of the bed. But then the devotion to the craft, to the training, to the writing, to the, you know, process of living and doing what I do, that then kicks in once you get going. So discipline either, discipline gets you through that moment of doubt. Okay around your devotion because whenever you try and do something significant there's going to be moments of doubt when you've been like on 200 podcasts and it feels like you know you're not making progress you picked up the phone 50 times to call potential clients to sell your services and it doesn't seem like it's working when you know you're on a plateau and you can't break off of it when you're struggling with your kid you know you Those are all examples of where you need that little bit of discipline to carry you through the moment of doubt. But that's your devotion gets you there. And your devotion is the reason why you have the discipline, unless there's an external person like a drill sergeant or a trainer or a sales manager literally yelling at you. Uh, I'm just I'm just going I ha- wrote up a bunch of your quotes here on some of your pages. I know they're not by you, uh, but well, I think they're mostly by other people. Uh, the quotes that you have. Yeah, every day in the book starts with a quote from somebody else, um, and then there's discussion and analysis around it, and then finishes with an action item. So we translate those concepts into real application because it's nice if you read something, but if you don't do something about it, then it is you know like saying thoughts and prayers thoughts and prayers are great action is better yeah like i think when you're putting you first you have to set whenever whatever you're doing you have to set the intention and like intention like i'm going to get this done write down your write down your goals and then like put it out there you have like you have it written down so you know like if you you could you could say it too like prayer um but it's good to have it written down i think it's a it's a mind um, it's, it's a reinforcer. So like for your listeners, one of the things that I would tell somebody, if they've got a big goal that they're working towards, whether it's like to save X dollars for to be able to buy a house or that new car or take kids to Disney World or it's a sales goal or whatever, make it be 
the lock screen on your phone. Because the average person looks at their phone roughly 450 times a day. Yeah. In the old days, we talked about putting a post-it note on your uh, next to your phone or on the refrigerator or on your mirror in the morning so that you see it. People see their phone a hundred times more than that each day. So put your goal on your lock screen. Yeah, I actually see have it a, all the time. A place I'm traveling to, Costa Rica in January. I have that as my display screen. It's like on all three of my monitors right now. <laughs> so you're getting that constant reinforcement, and that's critical. The average person has between fifty and eighty thousand thoughts per day. Mm-hmm. And most of them are repetitive. So if we can hack the environment to improve those thoughts, then you will see a big difference. So putting the picture of Costa Rica up there so that you're seeing it on a regular basis, putting your goal up so that you see it all the time, uh, you know, eliminating things that stimulate negative thoughts. This is one of the things that we do with people who are fighting addiction. I've got a friend who went through rehab and part of the things that we did is he had really cool, like 1950s vintage posters of alcohol and stuff like that. All gone. Had to remove all that. Yeah. His last name actually is Boozer. That's oh his real last name. And he had a vanity plate. So I made him change his vanity plate, which he had had for 30 years because it had that negative reinforcement. And we made him figure out a new route. Uh, for driving from his office back to his house that avoid was different because his old route went right by all the bars he liked to hang out with. So we made him change the route. It was programmed into his GPS. So it verbally it spoke and reinforced it until it became a habit, this new route, which did not include going by his old haunts. And so he didn't get the stimulation to go on and have a drink. Yeah, I I I can relate to that. Um, like I used to have, uh, a, like a, like a, a problem with, I still kind of do <laughs> a problem with gambling and mm-hmm. I would drive by the casino. I'm like, Oh, that's not a good route to go. So I, <laughs> I don't go that way anymore, but, um, I still so you eliminate the stimulus. And so you reduce a lot of it. So here's the thing. This is where I put on my counselor hat. What about gambling attracts you? What about gambling attracts me? quick and easy way to make money but it's also self-sabotage and i know this i'm actually reading a book called easy way i don't know if you ever heard of it easy way by alan carr no Uh, i'm writing that down it's a lot of people use like there's different different addictions and based on whichever addiction you have there's easy way to stop gambling by alan carr that Mm -hmm. book um a lot he started with the smoking one so a lot of people quit smoking with that book i have a friend who quit smoking with that book and um, it, it can be applied to any addiction. And you might want to uh, read Gabriel Mate's book, The Hungry Ghosts, because he goes into, he's a doctor and he explores trauma as the root cause of most addictions, narcissism, you know, a lot of these other things. And it's because we're looking for fulfillment. We're looking for love. We're looking for the dopamine hit. You know, so that's one way that people find it. And like my friend with the movie of Dummy in the Clothes and all that and the affairs and everything, it's an external uh, you know, hit as opposed to internally generating yourself. And I'm glad you brought up Easy Way because one of my 
core concepts is that in every situation, you get to choose one of two paths, just like Hercules had the choice between the easy way and the right way. In any situation, you can choose one of two critical paths. You can choose to crack the book and study for the exam, or you can play video games. Playing video games gives you the hit. It gives you the excitement. It's easy. Mm -hmm. But taking the easy path leads to a more difficult route in life because you play video games and you keep playing video games, you fail the exam, you're out of college, you know, you're living in a van down by the river. You, uh, you know, going old school SNL. But if you do the harder thing, you crack the book, you study, you invest the additional energy up front, it's more difficult, but you pass the test, then you get a better job and you end up having a better life. So it's eating the donut versus eating the healthy snack. It's yeah. the drag on the cigarette instead of uh, not. It's watching TV instead of learning something. It's sitting on the couch instead of going for the run. It's I think avoiding the conversation with your significant other or having that difficult conversation, whether it's your business partner or your spouse or you know your kid brother who's you know doing bad things. If we avoid this. Uh, hard choice, the difficult situation, we choose the easy path, things get much worse over time. In the book, it's a little bit different from what you're explaining. I think it's more, more of like a reverse psychology, more like they're painting uh, stopping the addiction as an easy as an easy way. It's, it's it, You have to read it, but anyway. It's, okay, uh, I will. Yeah, it's so. a little bit different what, what you're explaining, but I understand where you're coming from. But yeah. And and so like I was out on a 12 mile hike a couple months ago with one of my friends. We came to this thing where either you could walk the extra 200 yards around a nice, easy, grassy, grassy path, or you had to jump rock to rock uh, among the mud and leapfrog. And it would be a shorter distance, harder work. And she walked around. Now, of course, I. Go, go jump rock to rock. And she's like, don't you ever take the easy path? I'm like, you've known me how long? <laughs> you want because, the challenge. Yeah, I want the challenge. I'm going to do the difficult thing because one, I'm going to get a better uh, reward in terms of biochemicals from it. But two, when you do hard things, then you can do other hard things. When you do difficult choices, you build strength, you build resilience. It's just like, you know, you can do the easy thing and spend the money or you can do the harder thing, suck it up and invest that money. And guess what? You have a pile of money for the future. If you do the difficult things, whether it's running in the rain, whether it's cracking the book, whether it's having those conversations, you're building reserves that you can tap into when your mom gets cancer or you get laid off because they... Uh, close that entire division or what have you. So you got resiliency because you chose to do the difficult thing along the way. Yeah. What I like to do every day is step out my comfort zone. If I, if I haven't done that, then I feel like I haven't completed the day properly. That's awesome. Yeah. Like yesterday I haven't gone to the gym forever. So I'm like, I went to the gym yesterday and I'm like, 
I feel better now. <laughs> yeah. So I'm I'm still I, I really needed to build my strength back because I'm losing muscle mass like crazy. So so one of the things that I would recommend that you do is take a page from James Clear and have it stack, make it so that going to the gym, doing uh, body weight exercise, whatever working out is the default of how you do things. So like I get up in the morning, I grab my half cup of coffee. And I turn the coffee pot on. So the coffee pot's ready to make new coffee. And I've got my, you know, uh, basic shot to get me going. I brain dump out whatever's in my brain from sleeping. So I write for a couple minutes. I read a couple of different things every morning. And then I go for a 20-minute run or walk. And I sit down and I write some more. That might be two minutes, might be 10 minutes, depends. Then I go and I do my Taekwondo. And so I wake up every morning. God willing, I keep waking up every morning. <laughs> that rolls directly into these things. But so within 45 minutes of waking up, I've already done something good for my mind. I've done something good for my body. I've done something good for my spirit. So I'm prepped for a good day. You know, if you can say, all right, you know, when I get done with work, I'm going straight to the gym. And so my route has to be going past the gym. If it's get up in the morning and do 25 push-ups to start the day. So even if the rest of the day goes to hell, you've done that component and you've made some progress. That's the reason why I do my 100 punches every single morning so that no matter what else happens in my day, I've got that baseline threshold of some accomplishment. I, I totally agree. Keeping, keeping that routine it's going to help you with, it's with your foundation and it's going to it keep you keep you keep routines going. are boring but it's how you get successful do you think like the best bodybuilders go and decide what they're going to have for dinner or lunch that day no they meal prep for the entire week and they're going to have this okay do you think that the great uh martial artists or uh you know athletes in any capacity go and say oh i feel like doing this in the gym today i feel like doing this no they have their prescribed routine and it you know repeats you know they three different times a week or whatever this is what they do to succeed do you think that you know the great musicians would say oh i'm just gonna like fiddle around and do whatever i feel like no they practice their skills they practice their um uh components to a song you know basically the phrase they practice their set you know so they did these things and it was boring and repetitive, but that's how they became incredible. Okay. Uh, I was going to ask a question here before I forget. I, <laughs> uh, biggest highlight of your life. You can even t- do the top three if you want. Oh, geez. So it's not that hard. Yeah, I got three kids. And so I should say <laughs> that, you know, with the birth of my kids, you know, I want to strangle them. You can, you can include that one too. Especially since they're teenagers now. Um, I had always wanted to be a father. I wanted to be a good father. So, you know, my kids, I'm going to lump them together. My hooligans as one thing. Okay. All right. My development into, I don't want to call it an influencer because there's a lot of negative connotation around that. Okay. And, you know, thought leader, you know, I'm not really a thought leader because a lot of these thoughts are taken from other people. I've just assembled them and I teach them. But a, a, a person that can be a change agent for others through 
books, the podcast, speaking, the writing, all that. So that component of really being a teacher across multiple factors. I like that change agent. That's neat. That's a neat term. But so it's yeah. sort of like a catalyst in chemistry. Oh, okay. Um, and uh, so third one. Oh, geez, I don't know about that. Um, what I've been able to accomplish athletically because, you know, I'm won a world championship in Taekwondo. I do ultra marathons and getting ready for a Ragnar. Hopefully I can get into this other ultra marathon. I played uh, junior Olympic volleyball in high school. Uh, I was a varsity athlete in college. Actually, I lettered in cheerleading. <laughs> so all these things. Because growing up, I was severely, severely asthmatic. When I was 10 years old, I died. Oh, really? Yeah, I was dead. You know, flatline, floating on and off out of the body, you know, bright light, big, deep voice, all that. And so the fact that I've been able to do these things with, you know, coming from a worse starting point than literally anybody, because I came back from dead to do this, you know, is a big thing because it's a reflection of drive, desire, discipline, all these other components that I model in a lot of ways. And we all have 86,400 seconds in a day. It's how you choose to use them. And my friends joke that I burn the candle at both ends and in the middle with a flamethrower. And it's because of that event that happened to me. And so that's one of the reasons why I'm so driven in terms of the writing, in terms of the speaking, in terms of the, uh, you know, having impact on others. In a lot of so you, you, you take every day, like you're grateful for every day and you you know that like you can die any, any moment. Like yeah. you're, you're like, so you're just like, because if, if I died happened. today, <laughs> yeah, if I died today, you know what? I emptied, I emptied the tank. I emptied the tank every single day and I live to the fullest but you also need to live so that there's no regrets when you wake up the next day. So, you know, yeah, I could go on out and have like, you know, snort cocaine, you know, shoot up a bank and like get a bunch of hookers and all that. <laughs> but the next morning when the cops are knocking at my door, I'm not going to be feeling too good. Yeah. Okay. And so there's an old saying, live like you're going to die tomorrow. Learn like you're gonna live forever i like that so who said right? that do you remember who said that uh it was one of the uh romans so i don't okay. remember who <laughs> might, might have been Seneca. um so having this balance between enjoying and living fully but also making sure that you're ready to live tomorrow and 20 years from now and hopefully 50 years from now having that balance because as my friend Athena says, I'm no good to anyone if I'm broken. So if I push too hard today and I can't do what I need to tomorrow, then it's a net loss because I didn't, I can't contribute tomorrow and I need recovery time. But same thing is if I don't push hard enough today, I'm leaving stuff on the table. And as a gambler, you never leave money on the table if you get it. Mm -hmm. I, I like the, I like the word balance a lot because I have a yin yin yang tattoo, Taoism tattoo. Sweet. And, and, and it reminds me. It, yeah, I got it in color because I wanted it, I want it different and unique. So like it reminds me every day. I'm like, gotta find that balance. Like right. if you're stressed out, 
balance. If you're not working hard enough, balance. Like you have to really get that ingrained in your brain. (laughs) And your balance is going to change over time. Homeostasis, the way that the body gets back in balance, is not always perfect. It's dynamic. So where you are in the middle of summer when there's a lot of light versus winter when we have, you know, five hours of sunlight on a good day, it's minus 15 degrees. What your body needs, what your mind needs, what your spirit needs will evolve and change. And so it's learning to listen because, yeah, there's some days when my body says, no, you are not going to run 10 miles today. And you need to learn the difference between hurt and injured. You need to learn, okay, this is just tired versus this is pure exhaustion. Yeah, I have, I mean, you were talking about energy before with, with like you take a daily shot of coffee. I, I don't drink coffee anymore. I used to drink like uh, lion's mane of, you know, mushroom coffee, lion's mm-hmm. mane is a mushroom. So like it has, I forgot the ingredient in coffee, but it mimics the ingredient that you get in lion's mane. So basically you're getting the actual form of that um, ingredient that's in uh, that, that gives you the energy for the day. So like I, I take tablets now only the one I'm taking right now doesn't have lion's mane in it, but it gives me the energy and the balance I need for the day. That's all. <laughs> cool. I'm, I'm going to go look up lines, man, and figure it's out, really out more stuff. Because I, I, I'm not a, a like cutting edge biohacker, but I do use whatever's readily available to be able to supplement. So, for example, caffeine as a stimulant can really help you out in a lot of ways. You know, chamomile. Um, I've always been a big fan of uh, ginseng root as a martial artist. So there's different things. Also, um, getting sufficient protein. So my Taekwondo master taught me decades ago, you dig your grave with your teeth. Our, what goes in our mouth and in our mind are very important. In fact, primary determinants of your overall health. So people who eat a ton of processed sugar, they're messing with their body in a major, major way. I Um, don't drink any soda anymore. And I, it's been like that. I mean, like, except for soda water with no sugar, but like, I don't drink any soda. Like, I don't go to my way to, like, sometimes I might have one, like, rarely, but like, I don't go to my way to go. It's look the for exception soda. as opposed to the rule. Yeah. So if you look, a single 12 ounce can of soda, you know how much sugar is in that? Like, half the bottle. <laughs> yeah. Okay. <laughs> and processed sugar is actually as addictive as cocaine. Oh, I've heard the study with the rats and the rats oh. preferred the sugar over the cocaine, which was neat. And scary because yeah. look at American society right now, 50% of Americans are clinically obese, close to 75% of them are overweight. Calories are so cheap that it, we no longer have to worry about starving to death. We have to worry about not getting the right sorts of food. And so People are consuming this sort of stuff and gives them the quick hit, but they are feel empty immediately. And uh, so they go for more. And this is the same thing that social media does. Social media is designed to be as addictive as crack cocaine. So if we stay on there and we get our dopamine hits. Oh, like, 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 ooh, they like this, boom, boom, boom. Oh, this is interesting. And so it's designed to suck you on in. 
And so we have these different things that are highly addictive within our environment that are designed to distract us and extract money from us, essentially, or time, which is even worse. Yeah, because a lot of people think that even when they're not spending money on these, like these things that keep them distracted, they're still giving their energy to the thing that's distracting them. And it's just causing them to be more distracted. And it's a vicious cycle. Yeah. You know, like the so dopamine. Minimum thing. wage is like $15 an hour now. Let's use $20 an hour to make it easy to calculate. If you spend three hours a day on that sort of stuff. That's 21 hours a week because you're doing it on the weekends also. 21 hours a week at $20 an hour is $400 plus a week that is being extracted from you or that you could be creating. So um, you've got this uh, alternative cost, essentially, opportunity cost, because you're spending it on social media as opposed to spending it on developing yourself or building your business or you know, with the people that you actually care about or what have you. So that $400 per week, that's $20,000 a year. Think about that. Would you spend $20,000 a year for Candy Crush? <laughs> I, I actually, myself, I have no games on my phone. And when I'm out and about, other than the fact that like, I have to look at the time or use it for maps. I'm basically not on my phone. I don't like when I'm out, I'm out and trying to enjoy like nature usually mm -hmm. whenever, whenever I'm not working, but like, I'm just, you know, I'm just not trying to be on my phone. So my screen time says that I'm using roughly eight hours a day, but things like right now I've got the light on, on my phone, even though it's on uh, airplane mode. So that, uh, goes towards the usage. When I'm driving in the van, going to and from work or running errands, I've got a YouTube or an audio book or something going where I'm learning, I'm multitasking on that time. So I'm double dipping on that 86,400 because I'm driving and I'm learning something or I'm supervising homework for the kids and I'm chopping vegetables at the same time. So I double and triple dip whenever possible on that. So my eight hours of screen time is not me looking at the screen for eight hours, but the phone is actually active on for that amount of time. But it is educational and additive as opposed to being extracted. Yeah, that's the difference there is the education versus mindlessly scrolling and, you know, getting that fix of the dopamine, just, just trying to get those oh. likes, right? So, like, I I talk about techniques of how to, like, and on my other podcast, I talk about techniques of how to like limit your time and stuff like that. And um, I, I I don't like the fact that a lot of these things require our phones now. Like like they're making instead of like you know printing out a piece of paper, it's like oh we just use a QR code on your phone and you have to now you're spending more time on your phone looking for yeah. this thing. Or and because they want the eyeballs, they want the time. You know, back when in the dot com era, it was all about eyeballs. That's how they measured stuff. Okay, how many people look? And eyeballs don't necessarily translate to money because there's not engagement. Now they're focused on engagement. What percentage of this video was watched? How much time were people watching this? And so the marketers and big tech and all these other groups have realized time 
and engagement is the real metric because if you get somebody addicted to you, guess what? They're coming back. That's why for cigarette free, hey, you know, here's, you know, a discount on this game. Hey, you know, we'll give you a hundred free coins to start this game or whatever. Come to the casino and, you know, your first bet free. You know, in New York State, we now have uh, sports betting on. Uh, and so there's constantly the advertisements. You know, if you lose your first bet, we'll give you another hundred dollars. Yeah. You and know, it's just, it's a chain reaction. <laughs> come on in, get the claws in. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say. Lost my train of thought there for a second. Okay, biggest lesson you learned from your journey? Other people are not me. I like that. <laughs> so I had a business partner years ago, and you know, I sat down for the Come to Jesus meeting, and he's like, Joe, some of us don't want to work as hard as you. I'm like, well, you're drawing the same salary that I am, and I'm generating 95% of the revenue. So, you know, in this situation, if you don't want to work as hard as me, then it's either going to be proportional pay, because I'm not going to do 95% of the work for half the benefit, or, you know, we're going to, you know, go our separate ways. And this guy wanted to basically work 10 hours a week. And so that would not be enough to run the business. So, He's gone. You know, my, my, a lot of my friends are like, you know, you, you get up at four o'clock in the morning. We don't. So, you know, we sinking schedules, uh, you know, people's have different interests than what I do. People have different motivations. So, uh, one of the things I learned coaching is that some clients, I cared more about their future than they did. I could not keep them as clients. They had to care about their future, whether it was as a financial client, a coaching client, you know, what have you, as much as I did, or else it was not a good fit. Yeah, you have to get the synergy, the the chemistry between the two of you to match. Otherwise, it's not just the chemistry; it's got to be what you want out of it, the situation. So, for example, if you've got uh, you start dating somebody. And they just want to, you know, have you bring them cupcakes and have everything be easy and there's going to be rainbows and unicorns and all that. Well, you know what? That's not who I am. Yes, I like to, I'm a, very much of a giver, but we're going to do things. There's going to be chaos. I'm, you know, constantly growing and changing all that. So if you want stable and boring, I'm not the right person. If you want kick in the pants, if you want to go do new things, if you want to be, you know, growing and experiencing, I'm the right person to be hanging out with. Now, does that mean that we're going to Vegas or going bungee jumping all the time? No, but we're going to be talking about what books are you reading? You know, let's try new restaurants. Let's try and cook new things. You know, let's listen to new music. Let's, you know, it's neophilia in some ways, but it's a reflection of that open mentality. Dr. Carol Dweck in her research showed that only about 40% of grownups in the United States maintain a growth mindset. So if you look on the big five um, personality traits, ocean, openness, conscientiousness, extroversion, and uh, agreeableness, and neuroticism, if you've got one person who's very, very high on openness and the other person's very low, 
basically you've got a liberal and a conservative in terms of mindset. How are they going to get along? Uh, Not necessarily great. I mean, I, it's still doable. I think it's still doable. It's doable, but they also have to both be con- committed to making that relationship work, which comes down to the conscientious component uh-huh. of the big five personality trait. So if you've got one person who's hyper-conscientious, hyper-driven like me, and one person who's low, that disparity, when you look at the four the you know four different components from those two factors, it's like, oh, you're diametrically opposed. You guys should just walk away from each other. It's not going to work. So right. understanding yourself, understand. but also understanding the people around you so that, you know, not everybody is going to be your best friend. Not everybody's going to be a long-term relationship, whether it's a business relationship or a personal relationship. Understanding who you are and you know, being able to flex some without giving up your core belief systems and who you are is one of the things that you determine to see if somebody is going to succeed over time. All right. I wanted to go back a little bit here. Because you, you spoke about you, you. I don't know exactly what happened, but at ten years old, you did you passed away, like I, you died on the table. Yeah, I died from asthma. I was severely, severely asthmatic back then. We didn't have the puffers, so they take you to the doctor. They give you a shot of adrenaline or whatever, and you know sometimes they stick you in the hospital in the oxygen tent so your body could heal and get developed. And so I was having one of these, and you know, I'm lying there on the table and. You know, I'm having trouble breathing. <laughs> and all of a sudden, I didn't have trouble breathing. I'm floating on up and, you know, looking down, bright light and all that. And, you know, the doctor literally almost became an octopus. He had his arms <laughs> trying to save me. My mom's freaking out. Hear the big, deep James Earl Jones type voice. Not yet time. Boom, back down my body. How, okay, so that's a profound, I would say, spiritual experience for you that you had. Yeah. Like was, near death? No, no, it wasn't near death. It was actual death. Okay, actual death. As, okay, as, well. I, as I, they say in my Python, I got better. Way better, apparently. Um, like, have you ever had any type of other, like maybe a synchronicity in your life? You know, like uh, things that have happened that you that you couldn't explain or like it was not coincidence. Like, have you had those type of situation before? Oh, absolutely. You just need to be paying attention to them. So, like, for example, when I was an undergraduate physicist, um, I was studying for my quantum physics 2 final, and I had done lousy in quantum physics all semester long, just was not clicking where I was. So, you know, I'm heading back up to my dorm uh, a couple hours before the exam, and this lady's, like, struggling trying to get a fish tank into her uh, car. So I stop, I help her out, and, you know, for a couple minutes, and she's like, God bless. I'm like, yeah, whatever. You know, even though I was raised Catholic and all that. I go back, I go to sleep for a couple minutes. I'm like, there's this one problem. I'm like, I, you know, got out of bed, looked at that particular problem, figured out how to solve it, went back to sleep for a half hour, walked back down. I passed the lady again. She like waves at me, God bless. I go on in, sit down and test. First question out of five that the final is, was that exact question. What was the question so, though? I don't remember what the question was. That was quantum <laughs> physics 30 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, but, you know, so, but if I hadn't taken the time to help that woman out, 
I am absolutely convinced I would have not been given the insight that I needed to for that question. And I got a 97 on the final. I got nice. the highest grade in the entire class. And the teacher's like, well, I can't give you an A because of that, you know, of the problems that you had struggling and failing the first two exams, but you get me. I'm like, I'll take it. Yeah, that that like that turn of events led up to that outcome. I, I like that. Yeah, that right. happened, that so, happens all the time for me. You know, that, that random meeting of somebody, you know, so uh, like I was in my office one weekend where I normally wasn't normally in the office. And this person walks into my office to say hi, the new person in the building introduces themselves. And, you know, if I hadn't been there that day, I'd never would have met that person. That person is now very important to me and close to me. Right? If I hadn't been you know, involved playing this one game at this one point seven years ago, I never would have met this one person who became important. If I didn't, uh, you know, cross paths with this one person, I never would have learned about this particular book. So there are all these serendipitous moments out there. We just need to be open and receptive. All right. I was going to ask you another question, but did you want to take a break in between? Are you, no, are sure. you good? good? I got my coffee. I'm Okay, as long as you, I wasn't sure if you had your coffee or not. Okay, so, any area my of your coffee life... pot's right here. In oh, nice. arm's reach. <laughs> you prefer dark roast or Javish? Yes, dark roast and black, like my soul. <laughs> uh, any area of your life you're currently working on? Um, yeah, that's basically the question. Everything. That's straight and direct. You know, that's the whole idea behind human Kaizen is that we all have these different dimensions of our life, our personal health, our physical health, our mental health, our emotional health, our spiritual well-being, our relationships, our financial situation, you know, all these different components. And the world's beating us down all the time. You know, there's inflation, there's entropy, your body's aging, there's you know, disruption. We were talking about what social media does and all this stuff. So we need to constantly work, even just a little bit, to maintain. And to me, maintenance is not good enough because I sort of suck in a lot of ways, so I want to improve. So doing a little bit more than that every single day. So that's why I'm working on my physical health. I'm training for a particular race. I'm training for a particular thing in martial arts. I'm learning every single day in different areas, even if it's not that I'm working towards a degree or designation, I'm still growing my mind. I'm still working on becoming a better communicator, better friend, having more patience, being a better listener. So I'm there for my kids, all these different things. So it's this mindset that like when you're a student and you're studying physics or Latin or whatever, you're really focused on that thing. And so if you're studying Latin, you're not studying Romanian or Chinese. But if you're, once you're out in the real world and you're working on, let's say, something physical, so your endurance, that is a cross-functional thing that impacts other areas. Going to the gym makes you stronger, but also makes you more disciplined. It gives you more reserves. Um, All the studies on exercise show that improves your mental health also. You know, learning to listen better makes me better in work. 
so that I can be a better interview and a better interviewer, but it also makes me better as a father. It makes me better as a friend. So if we continually focus on trying to improve in some capacity, in some way, in any situation that we're in, that's going to, in the aggregate, make us better people and ultimately happier. And that, you know, more happy, more excellent. Going back to the start of our More happy, more excellent. Excellence is a habit. Yep. Um, now, when you're winding down, do you have a routine to winding down to find your balance? Like, do you meditate at all? I meditate, but not at night. So my nighttime routine is... Yes, I know I'm supposed to be off of the cell phone 20 to 25 minutes before going to bed because of the blue light and all that. I, I quite frankly don't really have the time to do that. I don't sleep that much. I go straight till about 11 o'clock at night. And I'm up at 4 o'clock in the morning. So it's really run to the cliff, fall off the cliff, get back up. So before I go to sleep, though, I pray every single night for certain people in certain situations. And I think about my goals because when you're going to sleep or you're coming out of sleep, um, you're producing theta waves in your brain. And that is really where the barrier between conscious and subconscious breaks down. And you can program your mind so much better during those transition periods. That's when the doors of perception are opening and closing a lot of ways. And so a great example of this was 25 plus years ago, I was getting ready to compete for one of my first big tournaments. In fact, that's the trophy right there. I keep it here because my one kid says that I should. And so for six months, every morning and every night where I was waking up or going to sleep, I visualized throwing an instant hook kick with my left foot to the dude's head to win the tournament. And long story short, that's exactly how I did it. Well, congratulations so, on your on your tournament uh, trophy, <laughs> and uh, yeah, the 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 I guess that yeah, you're practicing your your uh, setting your intention and your prayers, and like and so course- it, what it does is it programs your reticular activation system. If you read Tony Robbins, you'll understand this. But that's basically the software within our brain as how we see the world. So, for example, a successful entrepreneur who's built two or three companies is going to build more companies because they are constantly looking for problems and ways to solve. And that's the way Elon Musk's brain works, because he's programmed it that way over time. We can change our programming. If you focus on gratitude every single day, you're going to see more things to be grateful for. That is an example of programming your reticular activation system over time. If you're looking for opportunities in business, as you look for more opportunities, you will see more opportunities. Uh, if you focus on the negative, though, and you're looking at and saying everybody's a liar, everybody's a cheat, you're going to pick those examples out of every situation. And so program your mind, get your reticular activation system focused on the things that are going to improve you, going to make you better is one of the ways to do that. And so that's why the mental game is even more important than the physical game. I, this relates a lot to what the Dr. Joe Dispenza speaks about a lot it's about, yep. uh, the, the, with um, programming and repetition and, and, and the theta waves and the, be- and the beta waves and, and, and what, when you're waking up, when you're sleeping, 
um it just reminds me a lot about him and how he he, he talks a lot about heart brain coherence now do you have anything any information late related to that i i don't have a lot i mean you know i mean he's a doctor i'm i'm <laughs> I'm, I'm not. So there is that. And he's, you know, completely focused his studies around those areas as well. I've, you know, been in a lot of different areas and polymath, as I said. So, you know, but there are, we really have three brains. We've got our gut, we've got our heart, we've got our brain. And those are the three biggest densities of neurons in the body. And I, so yeah. the gut actually is what we say oh it just felt right or you know i felt it in my gut there's a reason for that yeah i i experience a lot it's it's i i like to say the intuition comes from your gut because like um growing up when i was 15 i developed a stomach issue called ibs and Mm -hmm. i i actually overcame that issue it took a lot of trial and error because like a lot first at first you know you do what you're told and you you like listen to your doctor and then they tell you, oh, you're fine, but you're not fine. And then you get a second opinion. Then you start doing your own research. And then luck of the draw, uh, my mom discovered something and it was a supplement. And I didn't literally listen right away. And later on, I'm like, I have no other options. So I'm going to go and go back to this. And I I took the supplement. Two weeks later, I was basically like, it's I still have issues, but like, it's not the same. Like, it's right. like. 98% better. <laughs> and you've also learned, okay, if I do X, it could trigger an attack. If I do Y, so you're learning, you know, you've got that meta awareness. You learn to listen to your body, same way that we need to learn to listen to our emotions and our mental state and all that to be able to have greater mental health, greater physical health, you know, metacognitive awareness, learning how to learn is one of the things that I work with a lot of my clients on. So that they can get better at getting better overall. Yeah, I think like like I guess it depends on what age you're at, and of course your environment. But learning, being eager to learn, is something you have to develop because yeah, like, that's the most important thing. Because I know kids who are mentally lazy and have no interest in learning, and I know eighty year old men 80, who are continuing. My father's an example. My father as a copy of my book. And so once a week, I'll get a call or a text from him with a question or a comment about it. And my dad retired at age 80 after running his own consulting firm for 50 years and immediately started playing competitive bridge to keep his mind active and sharp. And he still reads every single day and he's still trying to learn things. And the all the studies about aging say that doing that, of having that, mental and physical um, exercise every single day is what's going to make sure that he actually lives to 90 and has a good uh, lifestyle along the way versus the people who get premature retrogression who stop pushing their body, stop pushing their mind. And that's the reason why we see 40-year-olds who have osteoporosis. Yeah, that's really young to have osteoporosis. Uh, like, okay, well, you're saying- meant to be used. Yeah, the my yeah, like I think like my my memory is getting better. I like to say that too. Of using your vocabulary in a positive way, even if you know it might not be true, but like saying like, oh, my memory's terrible, that's not gonna help. 
like you should you should say it as in you're working towards what you yeah. want to accomplish. So, so here's a, a huge uh, subtle psychiatry thing. People say I can't do or I don't understand. Append the word yet on the end. I can't do this yet. Mm-hmm. I don't understand this yet. Because what it does is it, uh, roughly 80% of our uh, mental capacity is our subconscious, our limbic system and our, uh, you know, our emotional component. And so if you can get that part of the brain actually working towards finding a solution that the neocortex does not recognize yet, this is how you have breakthroughs. This is how some of, you know, the uh, double helix nature of DNA was realized or the benzene brain or a lot of these other things it is you just let the body work on it. And what another thing, meditation, uh, listening to music, running, stuff like that, because the neural uh, connections are very weak in some areas, but that's where your intuition comes on in. So if you can literally calm the entire brain down, you're dampening down the noise, you're turning down the volume. And so those loose connections, where the innovation and the insight come from can be heard. That's why people meditate or pray or go for long runs or exercise or people wake up from a dream with this insight. It's because they were able to damp down the big noise and allow this quiet voices to be heard. With the I, insight. When you said about when they, was it? The, the quiet voice. Go back a little bit here for a second. Uh, this person was in a coma for like a number of years. Mm-hmm. And when they came out of a coma, they knew a new, a new language, which was interesting. I, I never knew that could be possible. But, you know, anything is possible in my eyes. But that was interesting because I'm like, how did they? I mean, they must have been dreaming in another language. And they just appear apparently. Or it. they heard it while they were um, unconscious, because you can hear, this is the reason why, you know, some audio, like they use subliminal messages on uh, TV screens or movies. And they had to stop that because they're like buy popcorn, buy popcorn every uh, 12th frame or whatever. So you couldn't see it. I use this in a lot of ways. When I would sleep, I would act, I actually still have YouTube playing audio books or psychology or biomural beats or meditational things, you know, so you can continue to program your brain even when it's supposedly it turned off or in sleep mode. So having the computer in the next room with the volume set at 12, so it's, you can't even hear it consciously, but you can still hear it and having it play a language or meditational things or reinforcing information will allow your brain to continue to function and be programmed is it as powerful as sitting there actively studying no but if you can get six hours of that while you're sleeping seven nights a week it's more than sitting there studying for several hours and it's that continuous improvement what we talked about previously about practicing every day having consistency to get excellent Mm -hmm. by doing that you're getting the compounding effect over time 
Yeah, I think combining both is a good way to get the maximum maximum potential out of your day or even yeah. while you're sleeping. Like I, I would listen to affirmation. Um, it's kind of like a meditation sound. Like it just like just telling you words of positivity while you're yeah. sleeping. And then you kind of trick yourself to think, oh, I am that good. I, I am that smart, yeah. right? So it does help. Uh, I think maybe we can come close to wrapping this up. But if you want to talk about anything else that you haven't covered that you that you want to get off your chest now, you can feel free. No, I mean, like we've covered a lot of different things. So hopefully there's some value there for your listeners overall. But one thing is, uh, if your listeners could go to my website, everyday-excellence.com and, you know, just enroll it's free you know it's but this way every single day i put up a new blog post there's the twitter feed we're putting the youtube channel links there so every single day there'll be additional stuff there because my goal over the next 12 months is to positively impact 100 million people across the planet even if it's just a little bit a subtle improvement in their lives Imagine the compounding effect when we add up these hundred million people being slightly better overall. All right, you can get that's my mission. Where where can people get your book besides uh, Kindle? Is there an audiobook? Yeah, on Kindle, Amazon, obviously, Barnes Noble, um, almost any bookstore you might have to request it from your small local ones, or they can actually get books at everyday-excellence.com. Everyday excellence. Okay, perfect uh yeah that's that's all we have for this episode of enter the metaverse and we're gonna probably talk after this and thanks for tuning in john thank you be excellent and grow today be excellent every day